Hey, good morning, everyone. Today's sermon passage is from Romans 5, verse 9 to 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Happy Easter, and thank you so much for joining us for our online Easter service. You know, Easter is all about celebrating, praising God for what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. And so my goal with our time today, this Easter, is to remind you of what God has done, is doing, and will do so that no matter what you're facing, you can have joy this Easter. There's this great restaurant in Burnaby called Anton's. It's a pasta restaurant, an Italian restaurant. And you always have to wait outside on the street for a while before you can get in. It's just this little restaurant. And when you get in, you're, you're very hungry by that point. You remember restaurants? Weren't restaurants great? I miss restaurants. But uh, Anton's is a great one. When this thing's all over, you should go to Anton's. And uh, you go and you get uh, your meal and you get this plate of food that looks so good, this pasta, and you think, I'm going to eat this whole thing. And then you discover you can only get through like a third of it. And you take the rest home and you, you literally get two or three more meals out of this dish. The book of Romans is just like that, dense and rich. And we're going to look at just three verses that follow up the verses we looked at on Good Friday in Romans chapter 5. But let me just set you up and what's happened prior to these verses um, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, the focus is on the Gentiles, meaning everyone who's not Jewish, the Gentiles' rebellion against God. And there are all these pious Jews who would be reading what the Apostle Paul is writing and be like, yes, I agree. The Gentiles are rebellious against God. Well, then Paul goes on in chapter 2 of Romans to say, and all Jews are rebellious against God. God. And so by the time he gets to the middle of chapter three, he is making the case and we see that every single person in the world has rebelled against God. There are these verses that say, no one's righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it's at that point that we see that God's solution to humanity's sin is the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. And so then in the end of chapter three and into chapter four, we discover how we as rebellious sinners can be saved. And the answer is by believing in Jesus, by putting our faith, our trust in him. And so then we get to chapter five. And you, we discover, Paul is telling us that we can have peace and joy because of what God has done for us at Easter, is doing in our lives right now, and will do in the future. And so Paul is going to use a line of reasoning where he's going to go from heavy to light, from something really big to a lesser thing. That's the argumentation, the reasoning he's going to use. Let me explain it this way. 
Imagine with me that you are home alone or you live alone and you are caught in a fire. Your house catches fire and you are yelling and you are screaming and a neighbor hears you and douses a blanket in water, covers himself, races in, finds you. The firefighters haven't arrived yet. He wraps you in the blanket, brings you out to safety. But as you've gotten out of the place, he got a lot of burns. And so he needed to spend time in hospital. And you're thinking, wow, I didn't really know this neighbor before, but they rescued me. And so you go and you start visiting this neighbor in the hospital and you become very close. And eventually he's well, he's healed up, he comes back home. And one day you go and you walk into your basement and you discover that a pipe has burst and your basement is flooding. You reach for your phone and you call this neighbor and you say, can you come over quick? I've got a flood in the basement. And he says, yes, I will be right over. And just as you hang up the phone, you start to think to yourself, wait, is he going to come? I need help. Is he actually going to come? Now, let's just pause this grand scenario here for a minute. What should be the reasoning in our minds right now? The, the reasoning in our minds should be, he came when there was a fire and great danger if he said he'll come, he'll certainly come when there's just going to be some soggy carpet and drywall in the basement. The argument is, the reasoning is, he came when it was greatly difficult. He will certainly then come for you and help you in a lesser need. So let me show you how Paul uses that in verse 9 of our text. He says this, since, therefore, following up this amazing verse in verse 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he carries on. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The point Paul is making that since we have been justified, this great, this heavy act, certainly we will be saved from the wrath of God. A couple of theological words here. And so I want us to look at this word justify, that we are justified by his blood. What that means to be justified is that God regards us as righteous because he's clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus. So when God looks at us, justification is a legal term. He looks at us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus. Jesus bore our sin on the cross and we were given, we were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We have been justified. And so we see, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Just a quick survey of the scriptures, you see that the word salvation or to be saved really is talked about in three different senses. There's the past tense, right? We, are, we have been saved from the guilt of sin in the past. The theological word for this is justification. We have been justified. Even if you give your life to Jesus right now, now like 10 seconds ago, you have been justified. It happens in the past at the moment you believe and surrender your life to Jesus. The second tense is we are being saved from sin and its effects. 
Sin still plagues us. We still live in a world polluted by sin. And so in the present, we are being saved. The theological term for this is sanctification. We are being sanctified. And then the third tense is we will be finally and completely saved. Meaning we will be one day delivered completely from sin in the future. The theological term, we will be glorified. So we have been justified, are being sanctified, and will be glorified. This future tense of saved is what's being used in this verse. Since therefore we have now been justified, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. In the future, we will be saved from the judgment of God upon rebellious sinners and sin. The point Paul is making is this. Because he justified us, died on the cross to make us right with God, he can be trusted that in the future, he will bring us through and pass us through the judgment of God, the wrath of God, because we will be clothed in his righteousness. Of course we will, because he's already done the greater, the heavier thing. He can be trusted in the lighter thing. He does precisely the same thing in verse 10. Says this, for if well we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Another theological term here. We need to see what does reconciled mean? What is reconciliation? It means primarily a change in the relationship between you and God. For a relationship to be reconciled specifically between you and God means this. God has found a way of dealing with us no longer as rebellious enemies, no longer as rebellious enemies, but as forgiven and loved. See, God's love is so great that he devised a way of reconciling us to himself. And what is that way? He reconciled us to himself through the blood of his son, Jesus. And so, while we were enemies, rebellious sinners, we were reconciled to God. God repaired the relationship, initiated it in love. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Meaning this, to be saved by his life means that as Jesus stands in heaven, he is proof that God is never going to let you go. He's never going to forget you and that he's going to finish what he started. He reconciled you. He will certainly see you through this life. Do you see it? See, both of these arguments Paul is making in verses 9 and 10 are based on things God has already done for us through the death of of Jesus. In verse 9, it was justification. In verse 10, it's reconciliation. And so here's what you must see this Easter. If God's already done such great works, the heavier works on our behalf, justifying us in Christ when we were ungodly and reconciling us to himself when we were his enemies, God will then obviously continue his work in the lesser tasks of seeing us through life and through the final judgment. Oh, I desperately want you to believe it. Let me tell it this way. I heard of a family, they had a couple little girls and they decided to adopt a little girl into their family. And uh, the first year, by all accounts, was really hard for them. 
was very difficult. And, and what they discovered is that every time that they would go to correct their new little adopted daughter, she would well up with tears and cry and race off to her room and sit on the floor and weep. And they would try and comfort her and they would try and console her. And this went on for the better part of a year. There was finally a breakthrough one day when her dad walked into the room and knelt beside her and tried like he'd tried before and said, what's wrong, sweetheart? Why are you crying? And, and she was finally able to put into words to articulate what was going on in her mind and what was going on in her heart. And it was this. She looked up at her dad and she said, I just worry that every time I do something wrong, you're going to send me away. You're going to give me back. And this broke her dad's heart and he just looked at her and said, oh, honey, I will never do that. I chose you. You are mine and you will always be mine. I think that one of the reasons we're not able to celebrate well in our lives as Christians is that we doubt that very word. We, we, we doubt it. We think, okay, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sins, but, but then, you know, when he saved me, you know, he got to know me and I still struggle with stuff and I do bad things and I, I don't live like a good Christian all the time and I just worry that these truths aren't true about me. And this is Paul's whole argument here is he's saying, wait a minute, if well you were an enemy, he brought you in and not only made you a friend, he made you, a, he made you family, he made you his child. You need to hear the words of God to you this Easter. He's saying to you, I chose you. I love you. You are mine and you will always be mine. See, the cross proves his love for you and the resurrection proves his power to work it all the way through. We go on to verse 11 and it says this, more than that, having been justified and having been reconciled. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What Paul is saying is that because these things are true in verses 9 and 10, we can rejoice. We can live lives of rejoicing. To rejoice means loving him, praising him, and enjoying him, being satisfied in him. It's been said that joy is the great marker of the Christian. Joy is the great mark of the Christian. But many of us don't feel a lot of joy. Why? I, I, I think there are three reasons why we don't rejoice in God as, as much as we should. Here's one of the reasons. We, we don't believe the gospel. For some watching this, this Easter, you have never actually believed in Jesus, heard the story and said, I believe that and given your life to Christ, surrendered your life to him. I invite you to do that so that you can experience the joy and the peace and the hope that comes from precisely the things we've been talking about. But one of the reasons we don't experience joy is because we haven't actually believed the gospel. Another reason is that we don't understand the gospel. 
We may say that we believe in Jesus and, and give some sort of assent to it, but we don't actually believe in the great doctrine of being justified by grace through faith. Sometimes we actually live in some sort of works righteousness or something, for example. Meaning we don't understand what the gospel actually is and accomplishes for us. And so we think actually, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but really ultimately it's up to me. I need to live a good life and I need to do the right things. And so we lack joy when we live that way. We, we, we might on a good day have an arrogance about us or on a bad day have a hopelessness in us. But if we don't understand the gospel and that Jesus has done it all for us and our role is to merely place our trust and hope in him and praise him and rejoice in him, we will lack that joy. I think a third reason why we don't rejoice as we should is because we don't meditate on the gospel this great doctrine of justification. We don't meditate on it, on it at least as much as we get tossed and kicked around in life, you know? Some hard things happen to us and we dwell on those hard things. We identify ourselves through those difficult things. We get kicked in the teeth in our lives and we focus on those things. And so when we don't meditate on the truths of the gospel, we, we wind up not living in the joy that's actually secure, the hope and the peace and all of the things that come that flow through the Christian life because we're not focused on what our security is in Christ. And what I find encouraging is I see in this text that to rejoice is actually a choice. In verse 3, it talks about joy as well. And it says, not only that, but we rejoice knowing, it says. We rejoice knowing. And so we rejoice because there's something we know. Not necessarily how we feel, but what we know. A choice to remind yourself of what you know. It's interesting. We're commanded over and over again in the Bible to rejoice, to praise, to worship. We're told over 40 times in the Psalms to lift our hands. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus, sing in Luke chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we are commanded to rejoice. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It's a command. It's an imperative. Rejoice always. See, here's the thing. We're commanded to do these things. We're commanded to live this way. We're commanded to do these things even though, well, especially because we don't always feel like doing them. But that's exactly when we should. If I were to get down on my knees in prayer, and I'm not really particularly feeling submissive to God, if I get in the posture of kneeling before God, I become submissive to him in my prayer. If I hold out, outstretch my hands to him, if I come into church, remember coming to church? <laughs> and you come into a service and you, you start to sing, and you think, I don't really feel like singing. I don't really feel like raising my hands. As you do, something begins that starts with your posture into your heart and you start singing the truths and you go, oh yes, he is worthy. I do have joy. I do have hope. See, sometimes we just lack a proper perspective on what is true and it steals our joy. 
Imagine you get this email from your daughter who's gone off away to university and she writes you this, Dear Mom and Dad, since I left for school, I'm sorry about my thoughtlessness and not having written before. I'll bring you up to date, but before I do, please sit down. Are you sitting down? It's very important that you sit down before you continue reading this. I'm getting along pretty well now that the skull fracture and concussion I got when I jumped out of my dormitory window that caught on fire shortly after my arrival is pretty well healed. I only get those sick headaches a couple of times a day. Fortunately, during the fire in my dormitory, my jump was witnessed by an attendant at a gas station. He ran over, took me to the hospital, and continued to visit me there. When I got out of the hospital, I had nowhere to live because of the burnt-out condition of my room. So he was kind enough to invite me to move into his basement bedroom apartment with him. It's sort of small, but very cute. He's a very fine young man, and we have fallen deeply in love, and we're planning to get married. We haven't set the exact date, but it will be before my pregnancy begins to show. Yes, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant. I know how much you are looking forward to being grandparents, and I know you will welcome the baby and give it the same tender care and devotion that you gave to me when I was a child. In conclusion, now that I've brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there was no dormitory fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I am not pregnant, and there is no boyfriend in my life. However, I have failed history and biology, and I wanted you to see those results in their proper perspective. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do in these verses. He's trying to show you that Jesus has already done the heavier things. You can trust him in the lighter things. That he's brought you through the difficulties. He will see you all the way through. This is what we are meant to see. So my goal, as I stated at the beginning, is to remind you of what God has done, is doing, and will do, so that no matter what you're facing, you can have joy this Easter. Who you are is determined by the word of God. What your future holds is determined by the promises of God. God's love for you is determined by the cross and the hope that you have in life is determined by the resurrection. I just invite you, believe the gospel and celebrate it this Easter. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you so much that you have justified us, that you have reconciled us, you have saved us, are saving us, and will save us all the way through. That's what putting our trust in you means. Thank you for setting your affection upon us, for loving us, and for proclaiming to us that you love us we are yours and will always be yours. Lord, I know your invitation stands that anyone who would believe in you could have life in you and these promises be applied to their lives. Lord, I pray for those exploring faith in you that they would surrender their hearts to you, that they would believe in you, Jesus. And I pray for our church family. Lord, I pray that in a season like this, that we would just drill down on these truths of the gospel and believe them and celebrate them. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen.